do we scale the sales organization and grow? And how do we do so in a choppy and unpredictable world? Welcome to Revenue Riser. I'm your host, Anna Britnor Guest, and I'm delighted to be joined by two experienced sales leaders who I've had the real pleasure of working with over the last year. Paul Zemarini is Global Head of Sales at Bizabo, which is the fastest growing event management company. From my experience, it's also bursting with dynamic and passionate, enthusiastic people who want to really make a difference. And that has been truly evident in their fast pivot to hybrid and virtual events in the early days of COVID lockdown. Paul's had numerous senior exec roles in technology sales over the last 20 years. And don't be fooled by the accent. He may be a fellow native Brit, but has lived in New York since emigrating to the US in 2007. Bob Horn is CRO at Elusive Networks, an innovative, fast growth cybersecurity startup. Working with Elusive over the last couple of years, I've been really impressed by the ambition, the dedication and the innovation from top down to help their customers globally win the fight against cyber attack. And prior to joining Elusive in 2019, Bob's had over 20 years of building and scaling B2B software sales teams. One of the things I've noticed with both Paul and Bob is how adept they are at breaking down the complex into simple steps and concepts. So I'm really excited to learn from their experience and let's jump right in. Bob, I know that uh, you have a lot of thoughts, a lot of experience in this. What are the key things that a business should be thinking about when they're looking to grow? Yeah, so thanks, Anna. And when I think of scaling and, and growth, I actually think of it really in three dimensions. It's the people aspect, the process aspect, and the pipeline aspect. And it's really you know bringing those three dimensions together, which is what really allows for scale and, and hopefully exponential scale that goes along with it. And everything to me always starts and stops with talent and people. And then there's certainly processes within, within there that you've really got to focus on and making sure, you know, one, the people you bring on board are aligned with your vision and strategy, but even beyond alignment. And I know diversity is also a very big topic, diversity of race, diversity of gender, diversity of thought, diversity of background and idea, bringing that together is really important as you think about growth. And then of course, the process that you put in there. And I think, you know, everybody in, in sales certainly, you know, is very familiar with some of the elements of processes, whether it's your sales stages, your methodologies, things like that. And then of course, pipeline and pipeline, you know, in my mind is also a proxy for deals and really understanding the elements of the pipeline and then bringing your segmentation together, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about later. You know, what I find with both heads of sales, as well as even, you know, CEOs and board members, they tend to get fixated on maybe one or two of those elements, but the successful scaling companies you know, really focus on, on all three. I'd endorse that. I think often you find that the type of people that you uh, that you find when you come into a fast-moving, hyper-growth, young organization are not the guys that are going to be lasting the distance uh, as, as the company becomes more mature. And I think when you come to setting the process, you really have to set your stall out early. Like coming maybe VP of sales of three or four different companies, there maybe wasn't accurate forecasting. They maybe weren't the right people in, in the roles. And they certainly didn't have a clear process in place. And I think salespeople, like, they like to be led. Every sales team, there needs to be clarity. Uh, and therefore, by setting early expectations with a selling team, removes any ambiguity or uncertainty, shades of grey that could potentially enable them to not be sure as to what's expected of them. So, you know, what are their KPIs? How are they going to be pipeline generating for the week? How much pipeline is, is expected of them? 
does their sales leader have bookended meetings, you know, at the beginning on a Monday or, or a Friday evening? So you promise the business something on the beginning of the week and then it, you wrapped up on, on a Friday and daily check-ins that I think are even more imperative during the, the current state that the world's in right now because we're hiring remote people. We're hiring people over, over Zoom. And certainly from Bizabo's perspective, it's a, it's a company riddled and proud of its culture coming into the office and the vibe that you'd get and expect from an office, you simply don't get when you hire remote people. So the fact you can have a um, a regular check-in so they can feel that kind of team camaraderie, plus maybe on board to to a greater extent and not feel so alone is even more important during during these times. You've told me previously, and perhaps you can share a little bit about the frequency and regularity of those check-ins. As you'd expect from a a young startup, we have quite a, a young clientele, young AEs and BDRs. So the, the BDRs uh, meet every single day. They have check-ins twice a day. And certainly from the AE's perspective, they get together three times a week just for, for check-ins. So they have a couple of early morning sessions and then two evening sessions where they are just collaborate and get together to, to share experiences of what's going on that week. But we also have regular training sessions, which we would have had in, in the office, our onboarding team, and also people like myself and, uh, and my management team start just digging into specific training topics just because there's things that we want to reiterate when we don't feel, you don't get the pulse of what's going on outside an office environment. And it's very easy to be aloof and alone and, and assume that things are happening when maybe they're not. So maybe we are being a bit draconian and doubling down on uh, taking a pulse as to what the teams are, are up to. But I, under you know this particular operating rhythm that we find ourselves in right now, I don't think we should be ashamed of that. It should be embraced. Yeah, and we're we're doing you know something similar. You know, we obviously have our Monday morning forecast calls, which gets everybody together, and you know, we certainly pick topics and give all the other business segments an opportunity to present to the to the team. And then every Thursday, we do huddles. We'll pick a topic, you know, whether it's you know rolling out some some new product features functionality, or it could be even a selling skill. And we're not only doing that on Zoom. But we're recording it on Saleshood as well. I don't know if you, you know, use Saleshood or, or a tool like that. But what that allows us to do too is record and then start to cut that up and package that up for onboarding. So for us, we take huge pride in onboarding, and we think it's really an important aspect of the hiring process. And and I'm a, I, I subscribe to the Ritz Carlton theory. I think their data suggests that if somebody has a great onboarding experience, they're almost 70% more likely to stay with the company for three years. I view onboarding with customers the same way. But so we try to make that first week and first month, one, an amazing experience, but give them the right content so they can do their job and also accelerate their learning curve. And, you know, let's get them in front of customers as soon as possible. I think hand in hand with that kind of process and rigor comes the type of sales methodology that you use. They, uh, they complement each other very nicely. And it also just reiterates what we said earlier on about a rep understanding what activity metrics, KPIs, leading indicators are expected of them. And you know, when you can't check on them day, daily like you would do in, in the office, it, it becomes more important to be able to, to understand and, and see ex- exactly what's expected of them and what they should be doing. So for us, we use Medic. We use we tried and tested technology from the old PTC days. And uh, when we're talking about understanding how to prepare for meetings and coaching up through opportunities, you spoke about accelerating rep onboarding and more importantly, reducing turnover. Touchwood, I've been been blessed over the last few years to 
have had the same sales team just becoming more mature and expert in, in being able to, to sell our technology, which has been grace. It's an interesting point around onboarding. I think the uh, the Sales Management Association in the US did some research a couple of years ago, so certainly pre-COVID, and found that 55% of reps are performing after 24 months. So only just over half are performing after two years. And that ramp up is really slow. And so there's a lot of focus now on how do you accelerate that onboarding process to your point of giving people a really good experience at the beginning is really important to, to reinforce and, and reaffirm that mutual decision to join the company and to work together. But actually looking at how do you, how do you build up people towards productivity, I think is really key. Um, and how do you get them performing quickly, particularly when you're in a remote and, and virtual environment, but just taking it a bit wider as a sales leader who's coming in to a growing but established business kind of where where do you start and and what are the important things to to work on bob do you want to start yeah elusive networks has been around for gosh i think about four years before i showed up they had built a, a nice customer base built the first couple versions of the team and so first thing for me was to just kind of assess the people the process and the pipeline and go through all of that and then you know really start to to look at the segment are we selling our product to the right customers with the right motions behind it and really start to break that down. And, you know, I always kind of create a, a pyramid off that. And, and this isn't anything, you know, novel. I think everybody's got their own version of it. But, you know, our pyramid sort of started with what we call our, our dream 100 at the top or our strategic customers. And then in the middle was enterprise. And we didn't really, we sold to the commercial market, but we did it in more of a large enterprise motion. So creating that third motion around a commercial market with much more inside focus on it and make it a little bit lighter touch. So for us, you know, it was really around once we got the segments down, once we've got the motion down, applying what what does our channel model look like for each segment beyond that? And then we started to get into the sales process and the sales methodology and the different stages and qualification criteria behind that. And, and once you have that, then you really understand, you know, the types of people that you want to put in each role and who is going to do that. And then you assess the pipeline. Where are we with each segment? Where are we with each motion that goes behind it? And and by the way, anytime you kind of take over a, a new team, you're going to have to really go deep into all the deals and all the pipeline because you're going to find out what's real, what's not real, what emphasis do you want to put behind it? I know for Elusive Networks, I started at an interesting time because I started the first week in November. And we all know what happens, you know, first week in November through the end of the year. It's really one is let's make sure we we close out the year on a strong note and get ready for the next year and get the people on board. So it was a really interesting and unique time, but fortunately been an amazing ride so far. I would echo uh, Bob's comments. And uh, I think that in the time that I've been at, at Visibo, it's, it's it's definitely the same process. You you listen, you assess the current states, you, you, you start um, spending time with specific people so you can gain a deeper understanding as to, to what they do and how they operate in a particular daily workload. And then you, you start slowly, I think that's important, slowly implementing your changes. Because I know that uh, from my perspective, there was a lot of changing of personnel. There was, uh, when it comes to Salesforce, that was an at best just a tokenly used maybe. The art of forecasting and, and the sales methodology and the sales process that cer- certainly needed tweaking. And we were approaching it from more SMB level. We're aspiring to go up market, which is where we're doing very, very well right now. 
So, you know, we, we've split and segmented not only the types of customers that we go after, but also the right type of people and teams that are going to be going off those specific ICP profiles. So we have a general business team, which is predominantly a inside sales team and of different levels of maturity. We have an enterprise team, and then we have an expansion team and a newly formed channel team that sells through channel partners and agencies. Yeah, I think, I think your point on how you roll out the, the changes is really critical because I've always, in addition to the people process pipeline, I've got six pillars to my program. First and foremost is, is on the people side, is the talent side of things. Number two is the experience. So we talked a little bit about the experience of onboarding and hiring people, but the customer journey and the experience that they have throughout not only the selling cycle, but as they come on board as a customer and value realization and adoption is my number two. And we didn't get to that until about six months into it. Um, We really focused on the people piece, as well as just even the the revenue side of it before we rolled out any changes in customer experience. And then the third is process. And then the fourth, we get into outcomes and value our value proposition and what we believe the value the customers are going to get. But the reality is the outcomes tend to be very different than the value proposition. And it's we've got to put another process around there to make sure that value and outcomes are a lot more closely aligned. And hopefully the outcomes actually exceed the value proposition. And then last is data and taking in that data and really redefining certain things based on the data that you take in. So oddly enough, you know, I really only hit two of my six within the first several months. And we're, it's a continuous process to continue to roll those out. You know, to Paul's point, if I were to just hit all six of those on day one, people would have been very confused. They wouldn't understand the priorities and we wouldn't be able to be as far along as we are today. And it's important, isn't it, to get buy-in from the team. And both of you have spoken previously about you know, not everybody's going to come on this journey with you and, and nor should they, but understanding which are the right people, which are the people that fit and can work in, in the way that you want to is really important, isn't it? So how do you manage that? So I can certainly jump in on this one. I think early on, it's, it's more at-bats with the team. What Paul was describing is getting those additional touch points. You know, I have, Paul used the word draconian earlier, and this may be draconian as well. I'm sure many people thought that, but I actually have any new hire and anytime I I join a team, I've got a list of expectations. Unfortunately, I think it's grown to about 16, which may be unmanageable at this point, but setting expectations right away and making sure everybody's on board and aligned with those expectations is critical. And and it's okay if they're not. Um, That means they probably need to go work somewhere else. And this won't be a great fit for them. But lining that out early, I think everybody knows what the expectations are. And you can create some really great alignment as a result. And then, and that's expectations right away. And then let's talk about the journey that we're about to go on together. And this is where we are today. This is where we want to go. And there's never a final destination, by the way. We're constantly evolving. And and our journey, obviously, all of us, um, we had our journey significantly disrupted in in mid-March. And you've also got to build flexibility into, into your program. So that's why we call it expectations and not rules. These are what we expect and, and we'll inspect accordingly. But you've got to be able to be flexible enough that when the world changes, when the product changes, when customer expectations change, you got to roll with it and, and adjust accordingly. I mean, we talked about segmentation and part of my segmentation was verticals. And we actually changed some of the vertical markets that we went after. 
which again, if you change your vertical markets, you might want to change some of the skill sets that are selling into those vertical markets as well. And then anybody that's hired post-March probably also knows that you're actually not meeting the candidates face-to-face anymore. And I'm not a big fan of hiring people that I've actually never met or shook hands with or had a cup of coffee with. Hiring process being an inexact science, when you don't get to meet with them, you've got to do a lot more due diligence and make sure you're bringing the right people on board, which you know everything still goes back to that people and talent aspect. I would agree with that. I think if you've got a, a basic framework where expectations are clearly set, so whether it's about activity and a number of meetings for a week, how much pipeline you're expected to drive every single week, what BDR's um, outreach score looks like, so there's no confusion. Um, it sets you up for to be able to pivot as you as you may have to, like we had to in March. But the, the underlying foundation is in place, and everybody knows exactly what's uh, on, on, a, on a normal week what's expected of them, and therefore can, we can adjust and, and tweak as the as the conditions dictate. I think it's a really good point around having that. I, I sometimes use the expression having a, a common language and a consistent framework and structure that doesn't restrict individual personality and style. You want people to be able to bring out their own strengths, their own personalities, but having everybody working to a consistent set of standards, expectations, to a common framework uh, allows you, I think, much more effectively to see what's working, what isn't working. And to your point, Paul, when you need to change direction or pivot, when things happen that you need to respond to, if, if you've got that commonality, then it's a lot easier to to figure out where you are and to steer the ship, which I guess brings us into into the conversation around, you know, no, no path is ever smooth, is it? And, uh, you know, we talk about growth and we talk about scale, but Paul, I think you've previously used the term choppy. You know, it's not linear and it's not straightforward. So how, how do you manage that choppiness, both within your team, but also more widely across the exec team so that you're setting the right expectations as well as putting the right things in place? Well, I think it, first and foremost, it's key to understand, you, know, you mentioned the scale and the growth, is, and they are, they are very, very different. If I bring it uh, into my company for this year, we were in a hyper-growth mode for the, the previous year and, until we got the hit in, in Q1. So we, have, we were hiring probably an extra 20% of a sales team quarter on quarter. So all ramped up, nobody hitting core targets, just continually getting trained and onboarded. And just general chaos that you expect with that with that kind of motion, uh, and then to see what's happened in in March when Bizabo had to, and like any other any other company at the at the time, had to you know cut their cloth accordingly, and therefore we had to diminish our uh, our sales team to a degree. But what we found now, having been a, in a very fortunate uh, position where we've not only got some stellar salespeople remaining, but also the company has found product market fit. That these guys are are not only enjoying what they're doing; they seem to be in the right place at the right time. They're scaling and helping the company hit numbers which we've we've never hit before in a very cost-effective fashion. So, from on the one hand, we were we were driving, and I maybe I had thirty percent extra people on my sell, on my selling team as we came into this year. Now I've got a, a reduced team, but they're firing on all cylinders and beyond. So. And as a result of that, you can then start growing in a more measured, predictable, consistent fashion as the market forces change. And they are changing. Yeah. And I think you use the word predictable. Probably one of the most important words we have is as we try to scale 
And, you know, if you think of just startups in general, it's the antithesis of the word predictable. Nobody, nobody starts a company because they want something predictable. Um, they start a company because they think there's a massive opportunity, but they don't know how it's going to unfold. And so everything we try to do, everything we hear from board, investors, et cetera, is how do you create this predictable, scalable business? And sometimes, you know, those two words don't always work that well together. And, you know, I think we, we take the, the choppiness of a startup um, to begin with, and then we added what, what happened with COVID in March and create even more choppiness. And those that really had a process in place, plus we talked a little bit earlier about building flexibility into it. And I don't think we also give enough credit to your teammates, um, all the various functions that you have at the company and your CEO and board. And how, one, are they helping you when the, the waters are a little bit choppy and choppier, when you lose predictability? And are they giving you the right advice and input and kind of jumping in the boat with you to solve the problem? Or are they just looking at you saying, hey, I need something predictable in an unpredictable world. And we know that that's just an impossible task. So when we talk about alignment and getting everybody on board, I think it also goes to your peers and goes to your boss. And you know, in many cases, it's going to go to the board as well to, to make sure you're getting the help that you need across the board. I think I've noticed this, especially in what we call in the trenches and wartime that uh, we've been suffering through and fighting through over the last couple of quarters. You really feel supported by the wider your, by your wider teammates in different departments. Sometimes when when things are going relatively smoothly, you take you take it for granted. The sales the sales guys do this, customer success do that, R and D products, marketing, etc. But when you've got the back against the wall and you really have to get to, together as a holistic uh, unit and, uh, and and fight your way through a particular mess like we've had to this year. It's been a pleasure to see how everyone's dug in to support the greater good. I'm very very proud of that fact, and and I don't think it's said often enough. Character is always revealed during times like this, and you know it sounds like you're you're as blessed as I am with the team around you and people you work with and work for that yeah, everybody really jumped in and solved some pretty tough problems. It's been a, a very complex world. You know, to kind of dovetail onto your, your earlier question, I mean, one of the things that that we did um, when we entered these choppy waters back in, in March was just tighten everything up and took a less is more type of mentality. So we we actually shrunk our verticals, we shrunk our playbook. There's that word draconian again. And, and, and I think the team initially thought this was a dr draconian approach of when we used to do maybe once a month deal reviews, we were doing them every week on our deals. We were doing a lot more in terms of renewal reviews, things like that. Once we kind of went through the process, I actually got very positive feedback from the team because it wasn't a, we weren't just reporting the news. We were collaborating and figuring out how do we jointly make the news because they're, the job of the sales professional is drastically different. They don't get to meet with clients anymore. You know, if you look at why do customers buy from you, they buy, you know, in my mind, based on three things, trust, value, and experience, and the experience that you give them. Well, trust is still there. They trust the company, trust the product, but trust from a client is really done outside of the meeting room and certainly off Zoom. And it's those sidebar conversations where you really develop the trust and you get in the trenches together. Value is still there, right? Sell, value selling hasn't changed much, but then the whole experience and the journey that customers have with you, moving from a three-dimensional world where you're actually meeting with them to the two-dimensional world of using Zoom. So 
the sales team was also looking for ideas and thoughts. And that's where by tightening things up and doing more deal reviews, doing more communication with them, we kind of came up with creative ways of doing what we call, um, and I stole this this term from, from a friend of mine, but meaningless selling. So not only are we needing to sell while we're there and while we're present on Zoom, but how do we create you know these extras with our customers that aren't while we're you know having these meetings? And these are the things that you don't get when you're not communicating with your team and, and creating a collaborative approach really helped us. A couple of interesting things that come to mind as I was listening to you, Bob, this has brought sales teams together more collaboratively, more than normal, you know, particularly when you have a field sales team, they're out on the road, they, you know, maybe they meet up at QBRs, maybe they have to talk to each other because they have an account that they have in common. But by and large, they're pretty solitary uh, creatures out in the fields. One of the things that I've seen a lot more of is more collaboration and more coming together of teams and sharing those ideas. And I think you're absolutely right, both from a leadership level and at a collaborative cross sales function, I'm seeing a lot more salespeople spending the time wanting to understand what other people are doing, getting input into, into their accounts as well. And the other thing that was coming to my mind was, was about that trust and how you build rapport. And one of the, the other episodes in this series is about how do we train our brain for virtual selling. And one of my guests in, in that, Azzy Aslam, is, has a particular interest in neuroscience. And, and he raises some interesting questions about actually what do we mean by rapport when we're working virtually and just how do we need to rethink rapport and trust building when we can't go for a coffee or a beer or a meal or to the golf course or or any of the other things that we might do where we have those side conversations and we kind of get to know each other outside of a, a formal a formal meeting and I think it's something that for a lot of salespeople is is a really different experience and and you're right you know we can still build that trust we just need to think about how we do it in a in a different way. I think the idea that salespeople take a more consultative approach is uh, is key here truly understanding the current state of of a, a particular customer's pain as, as opposed to just immediately saying how our technology can be perfect for 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 their pain truly dig in and understand where they want to get to what the nirvana looks like what the promised land looks like and what the key pains are associated with that move and why there might be some trepidation not to go there i think that the more insight that you have and the more knowledge that you have on a, on a particular um, customer's environment will build that trust we, we've brought something into uh, in, into Bizabo where we have a a mutual account plan where we have Google Sheets, where we share information, we start talking about timelines, we work back from where they, you know, they might have some of their compelling events in order that they can have a smooth transition over to their event and also from our perspective, from sales into customer success to ensure smooth handover, but also to, uh, to, to make sure that there's mutual skin in the game. As you say, everything's remote now, you need to have some to and fro it's a partnership after all, and that partnership comes with you doing your bit and, and me doing mine. So by having this level of interaction and having this, this form of, of mutual account plan gives you that stickiness so that you know whether you continue to go down this path and whether you truly have a champion that's going to endorse you to the, to the finish line, or if there's not an awful lot of interaction coming immediately from them, you know, to move on and go to somewhere else. Yeah, and, and and Paul and I kind of think the same way when it comes to you know the consultative selling piece, as well as the importance of customer success. I think 
that's another aspect that we're really starting to see. I think more than anything, trust is going to not only come from the, the collaboration between the companies and the salespeople, but the importance of reference selling and making your customers your best salespeople is exacerbated by you know, the fact that we're in this two-dimensional world. Right now, I, was, you know, I even saw uh, Nick Meta from Gainsight posted all the companies now that are looking for customer success leaders. And it was it was insane. And and by the way, we're making a big investment at our company and customer success as well. So if you can really, we talk about process, right? We talk about value and outcomes, but if you can really focus on value realization and wide adoption at your clients and, and truly make them your best salespeople, that will also offset some of the challenges that we have today with the fact that we can't really create this customer intimacy that we're used to. If I look at the conversations that I have with clients and, and contacts in the sales field, I think the biggest topic, and it's exactly what you two have been touching on, is how do we better understand our customers? Because if we take away the social element, which we've done largely, uh, for now at least, then you know how do we really understand what our customer needs, that consultative approach that we dig deep, we really understand their business drive their business needs, the priorities, and all the variables because their business is also unpredictable. And, and how do we get to a point where we, we properly understand that? I think you know, that discovery piece, that really digging down and building out the value based on what you learn is, is absolutely key. And it's an area that a lot of companies are really, I think, doubling down on and really focusing on. But it plays through the entire customer journey because if we don't understand those up front, then things get stuck. We don't really know why. We don't really know if we're talking to the right people. We haven't really got all of our stakeholders aligned. Um, But it plays all the way through to your point, Bob, about customer success as well. And and one of the other areas that I'm I'm having a lot of conversation is around renewal, because particularly if you're trying to scale and, and to grow your revenues, there's no point in getting customers in through the front door if the existing ones are kind of leaving out the back door at the end of their contract period and so on. So how do you land and expand and how do you renew and grow those existing accounts? And more and more of the responsibility for that is sitting in customer success. So having that full understanding right from the beginning and at that handover point, so customer success set off knowing why has this customer bought this, not just how, how many users and what's the use case and, and how do we get them up and running, but why are they doing this and how are they going to measure their business success and the business outcomes of adopting whatever our technology does. It's a really positive move in my view because it really aligns then much better with the customer and that opportunity then to build Bob, you talked about onboarding the customer earlier on, but it allows you then to to start to build that at a more strategic level from the from the beginning. Yeah, that that that's exactly right. And, and being in the security world, customer success has traditionally meant support. So break fix, and you know we're doing it very different at, at Elusive. And I know we're not the only company that that's certainly done it this way. And you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, you know uh, work at Salesforce um, several years ago and got to watch firsthand about you know what a what a differentiator they called it customers for life, but ultimately customer success can can be for a business and and the clients themselves. And so, you know, by creating a, a laser focus on you know value realization and what's driving adoption. And by the way, value realization manifests itself in in many forms. It's not a cookie cutter. And I think, as you mentioned, really understanding why that customer wants to buy from you, why they bought from you, and then diving in and auguring in on, you know, what are the outcomes that they're getting and how do we consistently improve those? And it's not only just an understanding in a business model, 
But then there's also a, you know, what we call connecting of the dots, right? At certain levels and certain functions and understanding the personas, because you might create, and some companies do a daily cadence, um, and depending on their size, whether it's a weekly, monthly, and quarterly. And so as we look at our segments, right, at our strategic and enterprise, we're doing quarterly executive business reviews with them as well. And what that does too is it it brings you together in, in a much more collaborative manner because it's not just us presenting, here's our thoughts. It's you know, really sitting down with the client and making sure that we're completely aligned. We're doing both qualitative and quantitative data and presenting it back. And then let's let's talk about you know what's ahead of schedule, what's behind schedule, and how do we create some mitigation plan along that. And sometimes you might look at it and go, you know what? We thought that was going to be value going into it, but it's not anymore. So we can take that off the list. And these are long-term journeys with, with our customers. And you talk about renewals. Ultimately, if they're getting value and it's widely adopted, the renewal just happens. And not only is it renewed, but it's they're going to grow with you as well. And then they grow with you. And then they also, especially in our world, right, um, the lifespan of a, of a chief information security officer at a certain company is fairly short. So they will tend to go to other companies or get promoted as you know that the job itself also is is becoming almost a board level type of, of job, taking on a little bit more importance. And you want them when they go to another company or when they're at a conference, you know, you want them selling on your behalf. And that's the ultimate way to sell. Even if we uh, we touch on this year specifically, customers have had to had their hands held to a greater extent, whatever market you're in, and walk down that journey, that path, in order that you can put their minds at rest. If I take take our world briefly, the the, the quick pivot from what was an in-person strategy quickly to a virtual strategy where maybe no one had even thought about what the plan B was going to be looking like or what that landscape even even could considerably look like was uh, was alarming. So I know that we were bombarded by many, many organizations saying, help me. You know, and what we tend to do as part of our sales cycle, unlike maybe some of our competitors, is that we introduce our customer success people into the sales cycle before the deal's closed because they're people. And we want to make sure that as opposed to just I'm, I'm calling up 1-800, I might get to someone that doesn't know my background. We want to make sure that the way that we as a customer-centric organization operate is that they'll know that person, that person will know their background will know their people, will know what their strategy is, know exactly every nuance inside out as to how that corporation works. So that's what we stand for. And it makes us, uh, I think, pretty unique under the circumstances. And it it definitely helps to avoid the the deal coming in, sales closes the deal and then kind of chucks it over the fence to somebody else to pick up and they start again from scratch, figuring out what it is that the customer's bought. I think it's having that clear handover and involving people early, I think is uh, is really powerful. Well, we spoke about sale, setting expectations for salespeople. I think it's more important to set expectations for your customer to, to know that they're going to be dealt with in a, in a slick and professional fashion. And that it's a, it's a long-term partnership that they're embracing. Yeah, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree more because customer success is something that's a tremendous value to the client themselves. And if you have that conversation with them early, here's what you can expect from us. The minute you you sign the deal, what's going to happen in the first week with with onboarding, what's going to happen in terms of the cadence when we meet for these executive reviews, they will really appreciate that. And I think it's a competitive advantage. 
as well. The other thing that you mentioned too, Paul, that I don't want to shortchange too is is just when when it comes to this consultative selling and when it comes to really understanding the client, that starts really early in the process. And whether it's a commercial client where you've got an inside salesperson that might just at least read their shareholders letter and do a little bit of homework ahead of that, or if you've got a really large opportunity or a really complex customer, you know, doing a day in the life and really understanding their business and the process. So I can, one of the examples at my last company, um, we were working with them, um, with one of the large insurance companies. They wanted to talk to us about applying artificial intelligence to their customer engagement process. And my sales rep actually spent, I think it was two full days interviewing as if he was a customer with some of their insurance agents. And by the time we got to the meeting, I mean, we were meeting with some very senior folks. They were looking at at my sales rep as the expert. So they they were asking questions. How does our process really work in the real world? Because they were, while they really understood theoretically how it was supposed to be, he had just spent time with their insurance agents and understand exactly how the process really works. So it allowed us to create some credibility and understand their business. They respected the fact that we did our homework. But it also allowed us to be collaborative with solving the problem. So we weren't just salespeople at that point in time. We were somebody that can really help them re-engineer their business. And so the preparation people put in before that first call will really change the whole dynamic of the conversation. I think it's a really key point and, uh, and probably a good point to start wrapping up this, this conversation with that focus on the customer, their needs, and, and collaborating in, in a clear partnership with them. So. To uh, to bring us to a close, Bob, what would be your parting comments or, or tips to other sales leaders? And, and where can people reach you if they want to get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we talked about the the people, the process, and the pipeline. And you know, like I said earlier, we tend to get fixated on one or two of those. If you do, everything in this world starts with people. And make sure you get the right people. And by the way, the right people aren't always the ones that are going to interview the best. It's getting the right people for your culture your team, your motions, and make sure you're spending some time with them when they come on board. That, that initial onboarding experience is going to be really critical. I, I, I do tell everybody I hire, I can usually tell whether they're going to be successful in the first three weeks. And, and usually the one thing that jumps out is, did we dive in with them appropriately? And most importantly, did they dive in with us appropriately? And in three weeks, if, they've, if we've both done that, they're probably going to have a successful tenure at, at the company. Um, and then in terms of getting a hold of me, um, I'm on LinkedIn. So it's it's Bob Horn, and I'm the one at Elusive Networks out of Dallas, Texas. So uh, look forward to connecting with people. Thanks, Bob. And Paul, what would you leave us with? And where, where can people reach you? Yeah, thank you. I, I, I would say that when we speak about the people and the process and the pipeline, that change, that change can take time. So stick to your guns. Don't be afraid. It, 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 will take, it will take some time. Don't inflict that change upon, uh, upon the company. You'll, you'll, you'll scare your new CEO. Stick to your guns. Don't be afraid of the path that you want to take, and it'll pay off in the end. I'm at paul at bizabo.com and also Paul Semerani on LinkedIn. Thank you, Paul. And I think just to to echo that, I think for me, there's a lot about having, having consistency, having clear frameworks, uh, use the word expectations and I think that's that's really key and then having people that fit with your culture as you've just talked about and I think culture and values is is a key 
key topic. It's one that uh, I think will will recur repeatedly through this uh, through this podcast series because if you recruit people who fit with your values, then you know you have a good path for uh, for developing them and for working effectively over time. And then focusing in on the customer needs, I think, is the the other key point. If you're aligned to the customer needs and you understand that market, then you have the ingredients and the foundation for for growing. Thank you both very much for uh, for this conversation. I think we, we've touched on an awful lot of areas. I'm sure we could have spent a lot longer at talking about it, but thank you both very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Anna. It was a great conversation. Well, I hope you agree with Bob and enjoyed that conversation too. If so, don't forget to subscribe and please sign up for our mailing list where we'll be sharing useful tips and links and inviting your input for future seasons. As always, head over to revenueriser.com for more details. And I look forward to you joining us next time.